Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. In many ways, this week's episode is back to the classic focus that we started this podcast with uh, many years ago, which is the core location technology, the the beacon technology uh, that helps us figure out where people are and can be the trigger to so many compelling user experiences. Now, uh, I'm going to be talking to the CEO of Indoor Atlas, Eric Peel. He and his company are real veterans of this space. Indoor Atlas has a highly original approach to location, uh, which was started over a decade ago, uh, which is when I first came across them. And they've been on my list of companies to interview uh, since this show started. So it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce this, uh, this particular episode. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT Podcast is sponsored by Williot, bringing intelligence to every single thing. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. So, Indoor Atlas has been, I have this sort of mental list of all of the companies that I want to speak to, and this podcast really started off as focusing very much on the technology of indoor location. Um, and um, your company has always been one of the most interesting companies in this, this space. You uh, pioneered a, a really innovative um, set of technologies. You've got some uh, interesting patents. So I, I'm, I'm pleased to get, the, uh, get into it. I sort of think the, the, the first time I met someone from your company Got to have been 10 years ago. And you, you can t- t- tell me if I'm uh, imagining it or go into the history of your company. But I think it was 10 years ago and I was in San Diego and we were walking around a Staples and there were no Bluetooth beacons. And the guy that I was talking to, one of your, your colleagues from the very early days, was showing me this dot moving around. And it was based on the geo there with the magnetism of the the building and the earth i just thought it was like magic um and i've always been fascinated uh, and i i think since then you've you've the solution has matured and you have this cocktail um uh, a, a fusion of lots of different sensors so i'm really keen to understand more see how you've progressed as a company you indoor atlas has been around for a long time and, and um so we want to know the secret source and where you're uh, seeing the money is to be made and the areas to avoid. So I think we can learn a lot from you. Um, 
maybe we should start off where you know I've given you my observations about your company. <laughs> but tell me, what what is your elevator pitch when you're introducing Indoor Atlas to people? Uh, how do you do it? Oh yeah, so from an elevator pitch standpoint, so um, uh, well, what we do is that we are a uh, indoor te- positioning technology company. Uh, the aim of the company has always to be able to produce an experience that's similar to what you get outdoors with GPS, but indoors, and do so with minimal infrastructure. And uh, indeed, like you mentioned, uh, one of the recipes on how this has been achieved is actually the geomagnetic positioning, as we call it. And I, I think that, uh, well, I'm not sure if this is anymore really in the space of the elevator pitch, but <laughs> just to remind back, no, to, yeah. back to the hist- historical background you mentioned. So the company has been founded in 2012 in Finland. And uh, uh, I joined uh, uh, at the beginning of 2017 as the CEO. So I don't know first any information from the very beginning. I have heard a lot of very cool war stories. Uh, the one that you alluded to, uh, the Staples visit might have been one of those. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the um, uh, the value promise that we had early on was that uh, you don't need any infrastructure. So you can just install our software onto your smartphone uh, after doing the site survey and then you as a customer can uh, experience the uh, interpositioning in in virtually any venue. And uh, that was the beginning and that was, and still is, by the way, a great value proposition. Uh, Things have become a little bit more difficult uh, from the value proposition perspective since at one point in time, what happened was that uh, Apple made the decision of preventing applications from doing Wi-Fi scans and uh, what that means is that on iOS devices, uh, you can't do those anymore. So you can't observe the infrastructure that happens to exist on a given location ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But rather, what tends to happen these times, these days, is that uh, you would, uh, uh, at least when deploying our system, put in what we call a supporting beacon infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the positioning is not... Um, based on beacon positioning, but we do use beacons. So the the way we kind of uh, 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 split this into two phases is that there's a first phase, which we call the first fix calculation, first fix estimation, and that's done with radio positioning algorithms, since they are the ones who are able to, or which are able to compute the location estimate immediately. And uh, uh, what follows then is that when you start to move around, uh, we are able to observe the environment with all the sensors on the smartphone, including the geomagnetic fields. And uh, that's what is bringing the accuracy into the experience. So the geomagnetic positioning early on has the challenge that uh, uh, the location only effectively has one sample in the the, uh, position where you happen to be. And that's not enough information to be able to tell where you are in a potentially very large building. So uh, uh, over time, when you walk around and there's a path that we are able to compute from the um, uh, inertial navigation component, uh, which is giving us uh, a relative motion understanding on how uh, you as the user have been moving around. And uh, we are then collecting the geomagnetic fields over the course of the same path. And uh, at a certain point in time, the path information becomes unique uh, and uh, uh, the geomagnetic field variation throughout your path becomes unique. And that's how the positioning works. 
So the uh, uh, when we talk about geomagnetic positioning, people oftentimes uh, have a little bit of a hard time understanding that you know how is our geomagnetic positioning different from say the use of compass. So, uh, and if I try to take a look at the different technologies that are available for indoor positioning, you can see that everybody is using uh, geomagnetism, but typically they are using it in the or companies are using it uh, for the compass bearing or compass heading information. Mm -hmm. So you know, the compass points to the magnetic north and uh, uh, it's used that way. But uh, uh, what happens kind of uh, behind the scenes is that the uh, uh, the magnetometers that you find in modern smartphones and you have been finding them well already for, for the said 10 years or more, uh, they are actually accurate enough uh, so that you are able to really capture the three-dimensional uh, geomagnetic field. So and the nice thing about the geomagnetic field is that it sort of comes pre-installed. So you have have the geomagnetic fields everywhere. Uh, if you take a plot of land, you will probably find that the geomagnetic field is quite smooth in that. And it, it's really not having too many features. Uh, and it's uh, from an information content standpoint, you know, when walking through <clears throat> short distances, it's uh, not very interesting. But when you build a building and the building has some metal structures, then the metal structures will interact with the geomagnetic field, therefore creating minute errors or variations. And the way our technology works is that uh, uh, we have two phases. So in the deployment or site survey phase, uh, there's um, a process that we call fingerprinting, where you need to walk through the area where you want to subsequently uh, do a positioning. And uh, during the fingerprinting phase, we are recording the three-dimensional geomagnetic field uh, in the building. And we are also at the same time recording the radio environment and all the other uh, parameters we may be able to use. And uh, uh, then all of that uh, goes into what you like aptly put uh, as a cocktail. So the cocktail is, is the sensor fusion. So uh, using the inertial navigation, using the geomagnetic information, using whatever radio sensors we can use. Uh, we also use the barometer to detect changes in altitude as a relative information source. And uh, then if you use uh, our augmented reality mode, we are also using the camera information for positioning. Oh, so augmented reality is beyond just uh, an output uh, of uh, showing the um, um, uh, a, a point of interest marker in... Uh, in some kind of a heads-up display, you're actually using it to detect movement, which is smart. It's very good. Yeah, so uh, there has been a huge investments by the ecosystem providers to provide great AR capabilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are using them and using the camera information in general to figure out motion. So it's a way uh, to augment the information that we are able to collect from the uh, gyroscope and accelerometer on a smartphone. So much to talk about, but one of the th one of the things, um, a bit of a diversion, but your AR feature, um, this is something that uh, uh, we've been experimenting with uh, at Williard as well, and it's pretty awesome, especially for demonstrations. What you can do, uh, I think. The question in my mind is how much of use of AR actually goes beyond the demo. Um, uh, phase to uh, being used in production. Have you found that customers 
Um, are we at the stage where people are really using AR on a, on a regular basis or is it more something that we as an industry need to use as a sales tool? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So uh, we released um, our AR support, I think it was in 2020 or, or yeah, maybe in 2020. So it has been available for quite a while. Uh, of course, the timing kind of coincides with the pandemic as well. Yeah. And the pandemic yeah. has been difficult. Uh, for the whole industry, <laughs> I think it's a, so our technology uh, is useful typically in large indoor spaces. And of course, during the pandemic, large indoor spaces by definition were either under lockdown or they were just suffering from the consequences of social distancing and so forth. So it wasn't a, a, a great timing <laughs> for the, to release this feature. Uh, I think that, um, uh, well, maybe just as a background, so what we wanted to do was to make it easy to combine our positioning technology and AR experiences. We found out that uh, that uh, well, well, rather our initial assumption was that uh, people will combine the information that's coming from the AR engines and our uh, global positioning capability indoors, and uh, they will do them combine these capabilities themselves and, and go about building their experiences and applications. But it turned out that uh, uh, it's not so easy apparently than for many companies and uh, rightfully so. So you have to kind of do a pretty good job in combining those two elements together to create a fluid experience. And uh, to answer your question, I, I think that we still haven't, uh, at least on our side, seen uh, the best use cases of this come out yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's super useful as a demonstration and as a sales tool uh, because it's something that captures everybody's imagination mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it's also easy to understand uh, you know that uh, uh, you are seeing where you need to go you see the path ahead of you where to go mm -hmm. and so forth it's uh, highly useful for people who have trouble orienting themselves on a normal two-dimensional or be three-dimensional map for that matter and uh, from our point of view, uh, uh, since we are a positioning technology company, we are not a digital maps company, and nor do we want to be such a company. So rather we partner with companies that create digital maps. Uh, I think it's a much better strategy for our type of a company. So uh, having the AR capability enables us to demonstrate our technology in a useful way, even if you don't have a fancy and you know well-designed digital map of the location that's really interesting I, I i wonder you know this ar is not standing still uh you know we saw one of the biggest announcements from apple with their vision pro um i don't think people are going to be wearing vision pros when they uh, uh walk around staples uh, yet uh, so you know maybe it'll take uh three, four, five years before it gets to something that uh, wouldn't be uh, comical uh, doing that. But it, it's pretty clear that that's where it's going. And and I think, you know, what you pointed out, which, I mean, I have to admit with maps, I often struggle um, to orientate myself. So I think it's a really, it's a, it's a compelling solution. Are you, um, do you, do you just, so when I looked at your website, I saw the, the arrows being, uh, the directional arrows being overlaid on uh, the path uh, in the aisle of a store. Um, uh, do you see people doing anything more? Are they 
um, uh, highlighting where assets are, or um, is is your view this will just be used to help people like me who are very good at reading maps navigate? Uh, well, we certainly are on our side promoting other ways to use that information. So uh, uh, we, of course, uh, are building these components such as the AR capability on top of the uh, interpositioning system to be able to add value to the core positioning capability. And uh, if we kind of uh, limit ourselves only to navigation use cases and uh, only, you know, to following a path or following a set of arrows or whatever, you know, the method of abstraction you might have on how you guide somebody through a building, uh, I think it's going to be uh, a missed opportunity. And uh, because of that, uh, we have uh, support for POIs in our content management system. And as attributes to these points of interest, one of the things that you can specify is a graphical representation of an object that can be attached into a location. And uh, um, we support both two-dimensional bitmaps and uh, three-dimensional objects. Uh, and uh, we have uh, for the three-dimensional objects, for example, we can support rotation and scaling and uh, things like that so that you can put um, objects that might be meaningful in your environment there. And uh, these capabilities actually support it in our demonstration software. So we have an application which is available for both uh, iOS and Android. Uh, the application is called Inter-Atlas Positioning, simply. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, this application, uh, 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 the primary reason why we created it is to, is to be able to show how the positioning works and to have a simple application that anybody can go and test without having to do any software development. Uh, but we have been adding uh, over the years uh, additional capabilities into this application. Uh, so we added wayfinding, uh, wayfinding meant adding points of interest. Uh, we have been adding uh, support for geofences, so you can define arbitrary areas in your venue. And when you enter there, you get a notification. When you exit such a thing, you get a notification. Um, and then we have been adding support for augmented reality and these AR objects. So, uh, for example, in your to to continue on a retail uh, sort of potential use case in a retail environment, you could put, for example, uh, additional signs that don't appear in the real world, and you know, here are the sale items, or mm-hmm. you know, here are the items of interest according to your profile, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I see people wandering around stores with their phones out, but. Um... Um, I think it's just maybe a step too far to get them to be use it to to find their way, unless you're really struggling to find that part. So um, uh, it'll be interesting to see w- whether any apps really go mainstream with this uh, uh, with this feature. Um, I thought it was interesting. You described. Re- I think you gave a really nice. Uh, a breakdown of the components of indoor location. I think people come to this and they kind of lump it all in one. And I just want to call those out. So there's like, where am I? And then there's kind of the navigational piece. How do I uh, find my way? Uh, um, uh, and then there was this uh, um, whole geofencing, which is the ability to actually uh, initiate actions based on where I am. So someone's gone into the wrong place or a uh, you know, place they shouldn't be. or uh, and, and well, there's t- a ton that I want to get into. I want to talk about asset uh, uh, tracking a little bit more um, and the different use cases in different industries. 
But before we go on there, I, I, I want to make sure that we really understand the solution, the core technology. And you said another interesting thing, which was we don't do maps. And I think a lot of people would sort of assume, oh, Indoor Atlas uh, does maps, but you're, you're not. You're doing that location, you're doing the wayfinding, you're doing the, the geofencing. Um, why not do maps as well? It's a, it's a great question, and I guess it's a question of timing a little bit. So um, uh, we have been very focused on developing our core technology and the goal core algorithms, and uh, we have been adding uh, more and more sensor modalities into our sensor fusion stack. And since that's the core product, that has been the core priority for the team to work on. And uh, by the time we started to be happy with that functionality, there were already uh, quite a few companies creating digital maps. And uh, there's, I think there's a lot of value in digital maps. But from our point of view, where we are coming from, uh, it seemed to make much more sense to uh, rather partner with these companies. And, and that's actually kind of what has also happened. So we have many partner companies who have integrated our positioning SDK uh, into their map platform. And uh, so if you are a company, somebody like Maps People, for example, who is offering digital maps, uh, and uh, if you are using their map SDKs and map visualization technologies and things like that, uh, then you can simply enable Inter Atlas as well. And uh, uh, the Maps People uh, <coughs> software will be immediately able to use because it's uh, use our processor because it's pre-integrated into the software on their side. And the same has been done by other companies as well. So what, can you give some examples of the companies that you work with? Yeah, so we have a, well, if we start from uh, East, <laughs> so, uh, so Yahoo uh, Japan is uh, one of actually our shareholders and, and uh, Yahoo has an application called Yahoo Maps. And they compete with Google Maps, they compete with Apple Maps with their own Maps application. And their map application is using uh, their maps. Uh, they, I think, are partnered with somebody else, potentially for a part of that. But anyway, they are using our location services. Uh, if we then go uh, to Hong Kong, we have a, a partner company called Cherrypix. There, uh, they do their own, uh, or they have their own digital maps platform that they deploy, and. Uh, it has a nice map uh, representation layers. They have also integrated our technology into that. Um, in Europe, if we think about the European companies, uh, there's MazeMap uh, is integrated with our technology. Uh, we have uh, uh, Map uh, have done an integration. Uh, I think I might already mentioned MazeMap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then on the US side, uh, we have... Uh, uh, we have been a long time partner of Locus Labs. Uh, Locus Labs uh, has since then been uh, acquired by um, Acuity Brands, uh, and uh, they have they also well what Locus Labs did and does or the same team does is creating digital maps uh, uh, for certain places. Like uh, they have deployments in many airports, uh, for instance, uh, also in the UK, and uh, uh, it's another uh, platform that we have integrated, or rather, they have integrated our technology into. And uh, then uh, in Canada, mapped in is has also done this integration, and I'm probably forgetting some of our partners as I go <laughs> about this list. Well, that's a good selection. Acuity Brands, really interesting company. We interviewed uh, the head of Acuity uh, Brands uh, IoT team uh, years ago now, but um, they're the lighting company, uh, one of the big uh, 
big three lighting companies uh, and uh, a great source of uh, uh, beacons. Um, uh, sometimes an overwhelming source of beacons with yeah, yeah. really yeah, honest and deployments where uh, they've uh, been like uh, just flooding, uh, flooding the whole uh, spectrum with uh, the with their beacons. But they're a great company, and um, I think there's a, a huge potential there because uh, you know lighting is a staple, and uh, you know why not use that uh, for IoT? So getting back to your technology, uh, 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 just a detail of how do you read the Earth's magnetic field is it you're, you're just in, is it just the compass that tells you that uh, that the field is fluctuating do you look at the uh, the essentially the jitter in the needle of the compass or how do you do it uh, yeah well if you think about the compass needle so the compass needle is uh, some kind of a 2d projection of the uh, geomagnetic field or maybe mm-hmm. even almost a 1d because it has only one axis yeah. of freedom uh, but and, uh, what we do is that uh, we are using the three-dimensional field, so it's you know x, y, and and z coordinates that we are using for those things. Um, yeah, I think that it's actually a good thing that I, I um, as to see, I don't know intimately the technology, so I'm not going to leak any confidential. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the the hard part with this is that uh, uh, you have to be able to. Um, uh, pick up uh, the good signal from the noise uh, and uh, also compute what is known the bias so uh, every uh, smartphone has a bias component which means that it will uh, distort distort the geomagnetic um, the 3d dimensional vector in a certain way Uh, and uh, the way it is uh, having this bias is something that also changes over time so it's not a fixed thing and if you for example uh, in your purse, put your smartphone next to metal objects or whatnot. Uh, the bias component will change, and and uh, it's a kind of a difficult problem to solve. Uh, it's one of the areas where we also have while them being granted patents about how you how do you how you manage that. So the difficulty with the geomagnetic field is is kind of a starting from first of all getting the actual signal out of the, mm-hmm. out of the noise. Uh, so the uh, and. Uh, but then it comes to the uh, terrain matching algorithms, which are able to uh, match the path over time uh, mm-hmm. in the venue. One of the uh, peculiarities of the geomagnetic positioning is that, uh, like I kind of said earlier on, uh, it's not a unique signature in a way that you have. Uh, you typically in any building will have uh, features that represent themselves in the geomagnetic field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way in multiple locations. So you need to use other technologies uh, and other components and other smarts to be able to know that, you know, out of those five potentially matching places, the place where we actually are is, is here. Yes. So that's the that's the kind of the some kind of a high level overview on on how it works. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The way I remember it being explained to me 10 years ago, and it's incredible how these metaphors and images that we often use to communicate can just stick in people's mind. But the way it was explained to me was it's a bit like running a credit card through a credit card reader um, uh, it, and uh, you know that generates that it's important that you, you can't just stick the credit card in the credit card reader or at least you can't do that with the old mag stripes yeah. you have to kind of move it through at a velocity for it to work and uh, that was uh, really helped me get my head around the, uh, uh, the the nature of the technology but it was also you know problematic because if People don't always move, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so I guess that's why you have the other. Uh, you use the, the beacons and the GPS to get the initial fix and uh, yep. uh, and so forth. But how big a part is that geomagnetic thing? I, I kind of looked uh, always with interest as you added more sensors over the years, and I was kind of left wondering: Well, is it? Did it? You know, is it just a, a clever pivot uh, on their side to something that does work, and the geomagnetic magnetic thing is just kind of a, 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 little, a little seasoning um, to to kind of differentiate? Or how much of a help is the geomagnetic in figuring out where you are? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and it's a question uh, I sometimes also get from our customers and. Uh, it's also one of those questions which is a little bit hard to uh, reply to because the answer is that it, it depends. <laughs> yes. And and it depends uh, uh, on many factors, but one of the uh, important factors is that uh, how does the uh, geomagnetic landscape of a building look like? So sometimes uh, you may have a, a building that doesn't have a lot of features uh, in terms of the geomagnetic landscape. So we're... Uh, and by the way, as an aside, it's interesting to note that the geomagnetic fingerprint um, on every floor on a multi-story building is different. So uh, uh, there, it does vary and it's unique. But uh, if you have a, a location that has a relatively rich geomagnetic field, uh, so which probably means that the building has sufficient metal structures which are different from each other, you know, pipes and whatnot, uh, maybe there's metal in the concrete and different things can happen. Uh, then it actually is the uh, technology that brings uh, the highest level of accuracy in our stack. Mm-hmm. So the the uh, and especially because uh, uh, we are using it to our advantage to minimize the amount of beacons that one has to deploy. And that's a benefit. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so infrastructure or no infrastructure isn't binary. It's like what's the density of beacons I need and Obviously, the the less dense, the better. I mean, significantly better uh, as far yeah. as the, the the costs and the friction yeah. to getting this in place. Yes, and and uh, we also do still support uh, the model where no beacons are being deployed. So uh, uh, 
if you have Android devices which are able to do Wi-Fi scans, uh, then you don't necessarily need to deploy beacons, depending on yeah. the kind of Wi-Fi infrastructure that you have in place. And then Wi-Fi can take the role of providing the first fix, and uh, then the geomagnetic is bringing the accuracy and the tracking behavior. Yeah. But uh, to kind of, uh, uh, you know, in an attempt to conclude <laughs> the answer to that question, it's it's not mere seasoning, uh, and it's not also uh, I don't think a matter of doing a pivot. Uh, it's a, it's an integral part of the um, of the sensor fusion stack that we have, uh, and uh, uh, the reason why we have been adding these other modalities in place is that uh, we, of course, want to be able to have a bridge positioning stack and be able to operate in different types of environments, uh, taking advantage to of the uh, whatever uh, sensors and infrastructure happens to be available. Uh, and uh, it's also possible to deploy our technology uh, without using the geomagnetic part, and mm -hmm. it will still work. So uh, we then are relying on the other modalities. But yes. the best performance is gained when you have a good quality fingerprint and are using the full stack. So um, <laughs> I know this is going to be an it depends answer, but I'm trying to get a sense of how. Uh, how many beacons do you need um, given that you have geomagnetic? So if I add geomagnetic and I'm in an environment like a, a department store or shopping center that has a fair bit of, uh, of metal in it, um, um, but you know, I really want optimal location positioning, then what's, what's the kind of the density of uh, beacons that you would, uh, your teams would typically recommend? Uh, so our typical recommendation perhaps would be to have a beacon uh, at least as a starting point per 200 square meters, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, depending on the environment, it can be less, it can be more. Uh, we have actually um, added a tool into our uh, web application a while ago called the Beacon Planner. And the Beacon Planner has the capability of providing uh, reference plans for your location. So you you put in the floor plan and you draw out the area where you want to perform positioning and then it will give you a recommendation on how to deploy the beacons there and it gives you certain options. You can do a dense uh, deployment, uh, medium deployment or, or, or okay. uh, you know, you can, you can, in other words, you can vary the amount of, of beacons you put in place. Normally it makes sense to be a little bit smart about where you put the beacons. So, uh, and uh, it is also something that kind of, uh, it depends on your goals. So if the goal is to minimize the amount of beacons, uh, then you might want to choose to put the beacons into some uh, critical points, uh, you know, within the venue from a positioning standpoint. Like for, for example, you might have a beacon uh, nearby an elevator bank on every floor so that mm -hmm. the floor detection can go operate fast. And uh, uh, you might also want to have a beacon uh, nearby a place where people are likely to start their positioning experience and so forth. So, uh, I, like you said yourself, it, it depends. <laughs> yeah. On, on, on what you, uh, and one of the uh, things which is kind of interesting, uh, which has happened in the industry, is that the, the Wi-Fi access points have gained the ability to also operate in the Bluetooth um, frequency range, and they have embedded BLE capabilities themselves. 
And that's actually a very good fit to what we do because uh, then you are kind of having an infrastructure installation to provide Wi-Fi access that has a low-density beacon infrastructure to go with it at the same time, uh, which is a good match to our expectations. Yeah, we, we've had representatives on from Cisco and Aruba multiple times from uh, uh, both companies, and it's really interesting to see what uh, uh, Cisco's been doing with their spaces, DNA spaces uh, um, uh, ecosystem. Um, what's your general assessment of the the health of the the market? Uh, I mean, you survived. Um, you 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 survived. COVID as a, as a company. And how, how did you do that? I can't imagine that anyone was deploying uh, solutions such as yours during the, 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 the pandemic. Um, yeah, so that actually is an excellent question. And it um, actually allows us to talk about one topic that we haven't been speaking about yet, which is that one of the capabilities uh, that we have in our uh, stack or in the workflow rather uh, is that we have a self-service model. So our approach to the market has always kind of had two spare hands. One of them uh, is to operate through the self-service uh, 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 way uh, whereby anyone can come in and register as a developer. They gain access to our tools. Uh, uh, we provide a, a free trial license and uh, that enables uh, you to do a deployment anywhere on the world, uh, you know, on your premises, provided you just meet some prerequisites, uh, which typically are that you need to have physical access to the space so that you can do the site survey. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to have a floor plan that's accurate enough to support that site survey activity. And then uh, you need to have some kind of a radio infrastructure, which typically would be uh, supported by beacons. So, so those are kind of the elements that you need. So during the pandemic, what that meant was that uh, we were actually able to go on and continue uh, to make new commercial deployments with our partners. Uh, we did then what we do now, which is that we provide remote support in case somebody has questions or issues or wants advice on how to go about doing the site survey. Uh, but uh, uh, the deployments, uh, and actually this is true in general, so most of our deployments have been done by people that are not our employees. So uh, our partners have become uh, skilled at doing the fingerprinting and we have at the same time trying to make the fingerprinting process as simple as, simple as possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, what that means is that the, um, the during the pandemic, we were able to sign up new customers and make uh, new deployments. And we actually were able to gain some growth even during the pandemic, albeit, you know, it was of course slow going. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's really um, commendable um, that you've got to the point where your teams don't need to be there. That shows a level of maturity of the product that I think any uh, um, uh, business in our space should be uh, should be proud of. Um, uh, and uh, I, I guess it's very valuable for your balance sheet that you don't need to have all of the you don't need to have a massive field force that's uh, doing everything. How big is the company at this stage? My guess is that it's gone up and down over the years. No one survives as long as you have without uh, uh, some ups and some downs. But how big is Indoor Atlas today? Yeah, so uh, indeed, yeah, we have had our ups and downs several times <laughs> over the years. Uh, and uh, 
At the moment, uh, I think the configuration that we have is uh, on the small side. So we are, uh, I think, 14 people at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a little bit scattered around. So we have a, a couple of guys in Japan, one in China, and the rest of us are here in Finland. Uh, so uh, that's uh, how we are. And we have uh, deployments at the moment, I think, in 31 countries. So when I say deployments, I mean commercial deployments. Yeah, and you've got some pretty amazing stats in terms of the active use of your uh, product. Uh, I remember seeing on your your website. So, but one thing that uh, I maybe a tough question. I don't know. Um, when I first found Indoor Atlas, to me, you were just completely unique, and you'd got some uh, essential IP. And I think since then, other companies have. Uh, are doing similar things in terms of the geo uh, uh, magnetic uh, piece. Um, h- how do you differentiate your yourself against uh, uh, those companies? Yeah, so the differentiation is really coming from the topics that we have already discussed or the capabilities. So we have a, a, a capability of supporting the self-service model. We have yes. proven that the technology can be deployed into very many different types of buildings. So. Uh, you know, it can be office spaces, shopping malls, uh, train stations, uh, airports, uh, uh, and, you know, the exhibition centers. I don't know if I already mentioned that, but, but yeah. so large and small, uh, you know, with corridors, without corridors, large open areas, you know, uh, closed areas. So that has been one key capability. The self-service workflow enables anybody to go and try, so it's easy to take into use and, and you get the taste on how it is working. Uh, another capability which we haven't discussed so far is uh, the offline capability that we have. So uh, the um, we we store the fingerprints that we collect uh, in our cloud, but the uh, engine over the years has been uh, transformed to work uh, in an offline manner, meaning that the positioning algorithms run on the device itself, and uh, we don't require internet connectivity during a positioning session. And what that means is that if you have a, for example, if you have a hospital that has multiple buildings and maybe there are some underground tunnels, which maybe don't have connectivity or they have intermittent internet connectivity, we are able to support and perform well in that type of environments. And we even have a, a separate version of the SDK that we provide that we call the offline SDK, with, which embeds the uh, positioning maps. So uh, that's a, an interesting capability which gives robustness to solutions that are built around our technology. Definitely. Uh, yeah, as whenever I've worked for cloud companies, then that's been the biggest objection. Well, what, what, when there's, what do you do when there's no cloud? And of course, in Finland, you're no stranger to tunnels, uh, where your company is is based. I was. It's one of the things that I kind of makes it an exciting place to visit. You 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 have these uh, cool tunnels that. Uh, um, I was never clear whether that was because of the weather or um, uh, for some for defense reasons, or maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's both. But <laughs> yeah, I guess it's both. But it's true that the defense element has been a key component of this. So the second world where we have been building shelters and uh, uh, these shelters are of course during peacetime, which means hopefully forever uh, used for other purposes at the moment for commercials or for exercise halls or whatnot. Yes. So I love Finland. I uh, I, I was there um, 
um, at the tail end of the pandemic. In fact, that's where I first got COVID was in Finland. May, that doesn't sound like a compliment. It didn't mean to come no. out that way. But um, if you're going to, let me tell you, if you're going to get COVID, then Finland is the place to do it. It was wonderful. I got to walk uh, along by the sea and uh, uh, the fish soup was amazing. Um, uh, it, was, it was really cool. Um, so I can't wait to come back. And, uh, you know, obviously as a country, you have, uh, the, 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 the legacy and the current uh, manifestation of Nokia, which has spawned <laughs> off so much, uh, innovation, um, uh, especially in the wireless space. So what are the use cases that where you operate and, and where do you see the momentum? Where are people using this? Uh, because. You know, when, when I first got interested in beacons, it was, you know, the Apple store was the shining example uh, of, uh, of that. And uh, uh, back at Qualcomm, we uh, uh, provided the beacons for the Apple store, which was like a, a privilege to, uh, um, to see that. Um, and, you know, beacons have become a little bit more quiet, but the need for indoor uh, positioning and navigation hasn't gone away. So um, where do you see the momentum uh, in your business today, what are the use cases? Yeah, so what we have been uh, doing over the past several years uh, throughout the pandemic, for example, is that we have been starting to a little bit specialize into different verticals and also um, uh, try to understand what are the business needs of different verticals. So one of the issues uh, our kind of a company has is that since the uh, positioning technology is something that you can apply to virtually any business domain, it's such a central piece of, of any activity, you know, knowing where you are or the devices or whatnot. So uh, uh, the even if the technology can be the same for different industries, uh, the way you sell it, the way you productize it, uh, you know, the types of solutions that cre get created are going to be different. And also, of course, from our perspective, because we don't do solutions, we operate through partners who make the solutions. What it means for us is that, is that we have been gathering a, a lot of partners in different uh, industries and different fields to be able to serve the different markets. Uh, and uh, while doing so, we have also been uh, trying to really gather understanding uh, uh, from directly from the customers of our customers, meaning the partners. So the, in other words, typically they will be the venues uh, that are deploying the technology for different use cases. and. Uh, that's really something that is necessary to understand, uh, you know, how somebody is using this technology or wants to use it uh, at an airport. How would you deploy this technology in a retail setting? How do you do, you know, and retail is also a complex space. You have supermarkets, uh, big and small, and then you have uh, uh, shopping malls. You know, how do you go about there? Who is your customer? You know, are you selling to the brands? Are you selling to the venue and so forth? Uh, and uh, uh, and so it goes. But the the uh, uh, the use case uh, that most often our technology is used for is still navigation and uh, wayfinding uh, as the enabler of wayfinding and navigation. But increasingly, uh, we are seeing that uh, people are also using our technology for analytics. Uh, so, uh, uh, and we also have done some use cases where our technology is being deployed in an application, but the application doesn't even have the concept of a map. So it's doing the positioning, but the positioning is used for analytics purposes. For example, to enable social distancing or something like that, uh, rather mm -hmm. than uh, wayfinding. But and the the space of analytics, of course, is is very rich, uh, and uh, we have been adding gradually uh, capabilities into our own software stack. Uh, 
to also support different types of analytics use cases. And we have also ventured a little bit into the space of or into the area of geo marketing, so enabling new types of use, use cases that are uh, really being made possible by the fact that you do have knowledge of the location. And that, of course, is the direction where we as a company want to go because that kind of brings more value to the core product. I guess one obvious um, um, business question is, is how does the growing capabilities of the um, the base platforms, the um, uh, Apple Maps, Google Maps, um, uh, um, how, how does that impinge on your business and uh, impact it? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, uh, of course, it's uh, one that's completely beyond our control. So the ecosystem providers have a lot of power and they can create businesses, they can destroy businesses. But at least uh, so far, what we have seen is that uh, there are a lot of people who want to do cross-platform uh, applications and enable cross-platform capabilities. And at the moment, it's not something that you can get from Apple or that you can get from Google. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is that uh, uh, we want to make sure that you as our customer are in charge of your data. So we're, uh, if you work with us, uh, then you can decide how you want your data to be treated. And we are very open about how that goes in, in our system. That's a really uh, good point. Yeah. So... Um, there's a tradition on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, I mentioned it, but uh, you, um, I ask you about three songs that are meaningful to you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was a pretty interesting one, and and uh, took some thinking indeed because uh, choosing only three is a tough, tough call. But I, I went with something. Yeah. Well, terrific. Let's get into it. Uh, what, what did you choose? Yeah. So uh, the, um, I was kind of uh, trying to. Think about songs that are a little bit different and also for me personally representing a little bit different eras in my uh, life and in my career in general yeah. so i'm a lifelong fan of rush as you may know the canadian progressive rock band and uh, uh, from their um, vast collection of songs i went with the red barchetta uh, which is from the moving pictures album which probably is one of the uh, most famous albums that they have and uh, the um, so now unfortunately the drummer passed away uh, I think it was last year or the year before so yeah. I don't think they will be making tours anymore but uh, in the last tour that they did they did play this entire album uh, from start to finish <laughs> over the course oh, really? of the tour yeah that was pretty interesting yeah and you were on the tour did you hear it or yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. So they came to Helsinki and uh, obviously when they come here, I'm there. So, <laughs> so it's, Excellent. it's kind of how it worked. And and the reason why I chose that song was that um, it's about, uh, well, I guess it's a little bit about youth, uh, but it's about driving. And I remember, uh, you know, listening to this song just when I got my driver's license and I was mm -hmm. driving with my friends and it would be one of the sort of the de facto songs that we would listen to when, <laughs> when, when practicing to, to drive. Very good. Uh, that's a great memory. Um, I, I'm going to have to give that album a listen. I have to confess that I, I'm, I haven't been a Rush fan. Nothing against them. I just, you know, there's so much music to listen to, and I, I, I haven't, yeah. so I will, uh, based on your uh, enthusiasm. So what's your second song? Yeah, so the second song is uh, something different. So it's a heavy metal song uh, by um, uh, the... Um, band Disturbed uh, and they, they have an album and a song called Indestructible 
And uh, the reason I chose that was that uh, it was actually a song that I used to listen to when I restarted uh, doing exercise uh, at the gym. So it was always, you know, when I kind of would start a a um, series with serious weights, then that would be the song that I would be listening to. <laughs> That's great. And, and gathering the energy. And I, I actually, uh, at the later stage, I uh, studied a little bit, like, what's the background this, of this song? And apparently it has been created uh, in support of the um, U.S. troops uh, in Iraq during the war. So, oh, very interesting. I, I think it's kind of a fitting also to my sort of a small uh, gym exercise things as well. Very good. And so when did you decide to get back into going to the gym? Uh, this was... Um, uh, approximately 20 years ago so uh, mm -hmm. I used to do it uh, uh, during high school time and uh, uh, and I liked it then and then I uh, you know then life got into the way and I had small kids and everything and, and uh, but then uh, uh, I got divorced and uh, as is typical you know during the divorce to come and get a new hobby so I, I kind of went with two so I bought a motorcycle and, and I also uh, uh, started to go back to the gym and that was great sounds very good yeah um yeah i've found myself like i i just hit 61 and i'm like now have a renewed interest in exercise because i see you know you see your uh, peers going off in one direction or the other the people who uh kind of managed to hold it together physically and the people that don't and uh yeah you know obviously it's pretty obvious which side you want to uh, be on um <laughs> Yeah. So, um, okay. And the third song. Yeah. So the third song is uh, uh, it's a completely different one. So this is actually something I found uh, in YouTube. So there's a uh, channel uh, by by the artist that goes by the handle Gato Bus, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But Gato Bus is the name, and the logo seems to be a um, reference to the Japanese. Uh, Studio Ghibli, who has been making this very famous, uh, uh, phone is ringing, very famous uh, uh, movies, and uh, Spirited Away, and Spirited uh, Away, exactly, and, yes. and uh, Totoro is one of them, and I, I think that uh, it appears that his logo is coming from the the cat bus in Totoro, so that uh, that's I think how it comes in, and there's a song um, uh, called Dreaming uh, that uh, that he made uh, and is. You know that's available for anybody to look at in YouTube, and uh, uh, it's a song using two synthesizers that uh, he apparently started to play as he had some difficulties uh, getting to sleep. Uh, so uh, uh, that was somehow uh, interesting for me as I also started to um, uh, kind of play for my own enjoyment and music around five years ago, and uh, that's when I discovered this song and and. Uh, and I can also relate to the fact that uh, it's hard to get to sleep. <laughs> so, it's a, uh, so that's the Very story good. there. Yeah. So, Eric, uh, that was great. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Steve. It really has been my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Very good. So, thank you very much for listening to the whole of uh, this week's episode. I can only imagine that uh, you're among an elite few. And if you've been uh, putting up with uh, a few adverts 
uh, on the way, um, then hopefully it'll give you some satisfaction to know that uh, throughout the time that I work at Williot, uh, we're giving 100% of the advertising revenue that we receive to a really good cause, the Monarch School for Children of Homeless People. Um, so, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope it was useful. I'm always learning something. I hope you have too. Uh, lastly, my thanks to Aaron Hammock, who does the editing for this show. And until next time, be safe and be well. <laughs>